We pick up this morning in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. We'll begin in verse number 12 today. In the first part of chapter 8, Paul has given us a, a beautiful overview of God's work in believers' lives. In those first 11 verses, Paul has pointed out that believers are no longer under God's condemnation. The believers have been set free from the law of sin and death. That we're no longer under the dominion of sin. That we walk by the Spirit. That we have minds that are set on the Spirit. And that we have life and peace through the Spirit. Paul is helping us to understand that God has fully participated in our salvation and He continues to participate in our sanctification. The facts that we have been regenerated by faith and that we have received the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, these facts do not in and of themselves guarantee that we will practice holy living. But they do make holy living possible among God's children. In fact, in verses 12 and 13, Paul is going to emphasize our responsibility to eliminate sin in our life. So we pick up in verse number 12. It says, So then, brothers, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Literally, he starts off by saying, we are in debt. We once owed a debt that we couldn't pay, but Jesus paid that debt at Calvary. Now that we put our faith and trust in Him, we now have a new debt that we've occurred in our life. That debt means that we owe it to God to live and to pursue holy living. This is our obligation. This would be, if you will, a debt of gratitude based upon the fact that Christ is our Redeemer. So while Paul tells us that we are not in debt to the flesh, he, stay, he stops before he actually states the obvious. It's almost like it's an incomplete sentence. He says that we're not debtors to the flesh. And he stops before saying that we are debtors to the Spirit. To live according to the Spirit. What Paul's saying is that, yeah, we are no longer in obligation to that old nature. That old nature only brought us condemnation and wrath. But now we have a new obligation. We have a new obligation, not to the old nature, but to the new nature that God has created within us. For it is the Holy Spirit who has convicted us. It is the Holy Spirit who has revealed Christ to us. And it is the Holy Spirit that has imparted eternal life unto us. Therefore, we owe it. We are obligated. We are in debt to live in the power and control of the Holy Spirit. So he says, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the Spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. So as long as we live in these earthly vessels, we will be 
subject to temptation and that temptation to return to the old nature way of thinking and and living. So upon salvation, believers need to continually put put to death the sins that we once embraced and pursued. And and the way that we put those things to death is through a process that's referred to as sanctification. There, There are some key terms, theological terms, that we must understand so that this all begins to make sense. And I'll give you those three terms this morning. The first one is the term justification. Justification is an act of God whereby He pronounces a sinner to be righteous because of that individual's belief in Jesus Christ. So it's a proclamation by God that declares a sinner to be righteous because of their faith in Jesus. And so we are justified or we are declared righteous by God at the moment of our salvation. And that justification always remains. You don't have to be re-justified. If you're justified, then you're justified. So we have justification. And then the second term is uh, sanctification. Now, sanctification is the process by which believers are set apart by God and for His glory. So it's a process that believers are set apart by God and for His glory. It is the process by which believers are made holy. That that would be the term. The way that we're made holy. So sanctification... Sanctification refers to the process in our lives of our gradual purification from sin. This progressive spiritual growth should be the mark of identity of a child of God. Our sanctification isn't instant upon salvation. The sanctification is a process. It is a lifelong journey of understanding the Word and the will of God and rightly applying it to our lives. So we have justification and sanctification. And then the third term would be glorification. Glorification is God's final removal of sin from the life of the saints. He removes this sin from from our lives so that we can stand faultless before Him in glory for eternity. So we have justification, sanctification, and glorification. And these three words describe the full process of salvation. So as believers, we're we're justified the moment we repent and believe and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So, so that, that justification has occurred. So now we are being sanctified as we grow in holiness through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that one day we will be glorified when we're resurrected from the dead. So justification is a one-time event. Sanctification is an ongoing process. And glorification is a future event. 
So Paul's main point here in Romans 8.13 is that by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, believers are now able to uh, to destroy and resist the sin that's in our lives. Which means, for believers, the elimination of sin in our lives isn't something that happens passively. It's something that's active. There's there's an action that must be done. There's steps that, that we must take. There's a moral decision that needs to be made. Every day we're called to put to death the desires that draw us away from God. Paul writes about this all over his, his letters. In fact, turn with me to Rome, no, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. There's a lengthy section that I want to read and I want you all to follow along with me. And as you're finding your place there, let me read a few other places that Paul speaks about this. This first one is one verse from Colossians chapter 3, verse number 5. There, Paul says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Then when you get to uh, the book of Galatians, and in chapter 5, listen to how he says it here. uh, uh, Ten verses from chapter 5. He says, But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you do not do the things that you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. And he gives some examples of the deeds of the flesh. It says sexual immorality, impurity, uh, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and all these things. It sounds like a family reunion almost. Not my family, of course. Your family. He goes, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness, self-control, against such thing there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in step with the Spirit. Now you found your place to Ephesians. Let's go on a journey here real quick. Let's begin with Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17. 
There Paul writes and he says, Therefore this I say and testify in the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practices of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you heard Him and were taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, to lay aside in reference to the former conduct the old man. It's, it's active. You've got to do something. Lay aside that old conduct of the old man which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And then to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to put on the new man which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. Speak truth. Each one with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for building up what is needed, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has graciously forgiven you. It doesn't stop there. His teaching still keeps going into chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, nor filthiness and foolish talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no one sexually immoral or impure or greedy who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let me just pause right there, make one slight little comment. Aren't you glad that we have church here in America instead of having to deal with trying to figure this out in places like Canada where you can no longer proclaim truths just like this. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters north of the border and that they would have pastors who would not fear imprisonment, but rather would have a fear of God greatly instilled in their heart and 
boldly proclaim his word no matter what the magistrates would have them say. Now resume. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you have the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. On account of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is a dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. May we understand when we're to put to death that old nature put to death the things that entice us and draw us away from God, that is something that we have to be intentional about. We have to be actively engaged in addressing the sin that's in our lives. We can no longer say, well, that's just part of my characteristic. That's just who I am. No, it's not. If you're a child of God, that is not who you are. You have a new identity, a new nature. One that needs to be embraced and one that needs to be pursued. Now, back to Romans 8. Fulfilling the obligation to put to death the desires that draw us away from God is only possible by the Spirit of God. Because we cannot do this on our own. And so verse number 14 begins a glorious section in this chapter. Verse 14 says, For as many as, being, as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now many people will falsely claim that all people are children of God. But that's not what the Scriptures say. All people are not children of God. Of God. Now, yes, we are all His creation. Yes, we are all under His authority. Yes, we will all stand before Him and be judged by Him. But the right to be called a child of God is something that is reserved for those who submit and surrender their lives unto the Savior. John 1, verses 12 and 13 says it like this. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right 
to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, for for as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading you to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. See, by nature, we are not children of God. The only way that we can enter into the family of God is by adoption. Oh, and and how beautifully that this all syncs up on a day like today or a day across the nation and even around the world, churches are gathering to give recognition to the sanctity of human life and that all life matters. All life should be valued. All life should be protected. Even the innocent, the unborn, should be protected in the wombs of those mothers The only way that we can be children of God is for God to issue an adoption decree for us. My my mind fully embraced and clearly began to understand the significance of what this means from January 8th of 2015 because that is the day when the courts declared Cain and Ray to be legally a henneke. And there is nothing that will change that status within our family. Unfortunately, some people have this mistaken idea that being an an adopted child is a, a less than status within someone's family. In the time of this writing, the concept of adoption in the Roman culture Man, it was so significant to understand because an adopted child in that culture often had greater security than biological children did. In ancient Rome, adoption had a powerful meaning. You see, when a child was born biologically, the parents had at their discretion the option at any moment for any reason to disown that child. So that relationship was not necessarily desired by the parent, nor was it a permanent relationship. However, if a child was adopted into the family, it meant that that, that those parents freely chose that child. It means that that child was desired by those parents. And that child would become a permanent part of that family because parents could never disown a child that was adopted. They were forever protected within that family. So in New Testament times, adopted children enjoyed the same privileges as naturally born children. So what Paul's saying is, instead of cowering in slave-like fear, then we should have confidence in receiving the spirit of adoption in our lives. 
See, slavery to sin brings about slavery to fear. And one of the gracious works of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that the spirit of adoption delivers us from that kind of enslavement. Elsewhere in the Scripture, Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. He reminds him that our Heavenly Father has not given us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. John writes, and he assures us in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 18, that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So what's being said here? Because we have the spirit of adoption in our lives, another way of referring to the Holy Spirit, because we have the spirit of adoption in our lives, we can now approach God in an intimate, personal way, and now even have the right to call out to Him, Abba, Father. Abba is a a beautiful word. It's an Aramaic word. It's an Aramaic word used by Hebrew children to address their father. It was a a common term of affection, confidence, and trust. Think about it. Only three places in the Scripture do we find that term used. One of the places is the one that you're probably most familiar with. On the night that our Lord was betrayed as He withdrew further into the garden to, to pray unto our Heavenly Father, Jesus fell to the ground and cried out to God saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Remove this cup from Me. Yet not what I will, but what You will. I want you to think about what that means. Having the spirit of adoption in our lives, we now have open access to the Heavenly Father where we can express our needs, our desires, our, our, our struggles, and we can give it all to our Daddy. And He welcomes it. He longs to receive those prayers from His children. And so the spirit of adoption, that concept, is a constant reminder that we are, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, it's a reminder that you are fully desired by God. It's a reminder that you are fully loved by the Father. That you've taken on a new identity. It's encouragement to know that you can now approach God with confidence and trust Because we also have an inheritance to receive. Scripture says that that we are heirs to God and co-heirs with Christ. Keep reading. Look at verse 16 again. It says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Paul touches on something that is very important in our understanding of the Christian life. 
He says that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are His children. So think about that. The work of the Holy Spirit is not only to make us children of God. It's not only to indwell the life of the believer, but the Holy Spirit also gives us an inner confidence and assurance of our standing with God. And so here we come to the, to the main point of this paragraph. Because of the spirit of adoption in our life, that we are God's heirs. And so the argument's very simple. If you are led by the Spirit, then you are God's children. And if you are God's children, then you are His heirs. So to be an heir means to be rightfully in line to inherit what is being reserved for you. You ever think about what that inheritance is? Our inheritance in a single word would be heaven. Heaven is the sum total of all that God has promised to us in and through salvation. God gives this inheritance so that we will live forever as a perfect demonstration of His glory and His grace. Scripture testifies to this. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, Peter writes these words. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then he says, To obtain an inheritance. Then he describes this inheritance. It says it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it's unfading, having been kept in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And this inheritance is given to those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are children of God, those who are willing to suffer with the Savior. Look how verse number 17 ends. It says, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. So along with the, the great treasures to be received as a result of our salvation, there is also a great price to be paid for being identified with Jesus. Make no mistake. We have been called 
by the Word of God, and we have been equipped by the Spirit of God to live as Jesus lived, to walk as the Savior walked, to live a life of serving one another, to live a life that's fully, wholly committed to honoring God and making His glory known. We have been both called and equipped to refuse to live a selfish or self-centered life. We have been called and equipped to live a life that seeks to, to fully embrace God's will for us which means that, that we're called and equipped to, to resist the temptation to conform to the things of this world. And that's what we're going to get to in, well, I don't know, at this pace, nine months maybe when we get to Romans chapter 12. But Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know that a life fully surrendered to the Savior is a life that is willing to be lived even at great cost. Think about that. No amount of suffering that we might endure for being identified as a believer. No amount of suffering that we might have to to face. No amount of persecution that we might endure can compare to the great price that Jesus paid to issue and guaranteed our salvation. So... If He's willing to do that to offer redemption, then as children of God, we must be willing, we are obligated, we are in debt to live a life that fully submits and surrenders to the Word and to the will of God. It's not easy. It's hard. It's a struggle. It's a struggle every single day to take captive those thoughts of that old natured self. Not every day, even every moment, every hour, every minute sometimes. So instead of like beating yourself up because you're still struggling with whatever, man, be thankful that you have that guilty conscience working within you saying, look, you're not fully perfected yet. You've got room to grow. You're struggling. You're frustrated with this sin. Guess what? So's the Father. But the Father has given you the Spirit. If we'll submit and surrender and live and walk in the Spirit, then we can begin to gain victory over that sin that manifests itself up in our lives. Next week, we're going to get to verses 18 through 25. When we do, we'll see how God is going to free all of His creation from struggling and suffering. Therefore, let's, let's close by, by reading next week's text. Verse number 18. 
says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the ancient longing of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even when even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption as Son, the redemption of our body. For in the hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would fill this space. Your people with the awareness, Father, of the things, the thoughts, the actions, the deeds that we're doing that we need to wage war against through the power of Your Spirit to begin to gain victory over. Father, every single one of us can identify some area in our life that needs improvement. There's not a fully perfected saint among us. Therefore, Father, help us all to be gracious towards one another. Help us to love one another. To love each other enough to to speak the truth. To love each other enough to always forgive. In this moment, Father, pray that Your Spirit would make known unto us decisions that we need to make. Sins that need to be confessed and repented from. Commitments that need to be made. Father, for, for individuals or families who, who, who want to, to join the church, for those who want to submit and surrender their lives unto the Savior, for those that want to be obedient and, and to be baptized, fully identifying themselves with Your Son, whatever decision that needs to be made so that You could be fully and rightfully glorified in this moment, Father, I pray that we would do just that. I pray that we're not worried about anything or anyone other than what we need to do in order to leave here in a right and proper relationship with you. So, Father, we commit this time unto you. Oh, I pray that you would be pleased by what you see from us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.